Motormouths, Ditch and Bud on News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Thanks for listening. Guess what? We're going to talk about cars for the next hour. And you know, listen, you're probably in a car right now, or you have been one in to, uh, You've been in one today, and you're going to spend some time in one later. So uh, this involves the conversation with you as well, because we love talking about cars. We love driving cars. We love talking about driving cars. Yeah, we love talking about cars while we're working on cars. Working on cars. Talking about working on cars while we're driving cars. <laughs> There's plenty of car talk to uh, to ha- to be had, and we're going to do it here for the next hour. So this is how you get involved in the conversation with us here on the Motor Miles six eight three zero. 989 the Rick's powder coating text line number is 6830989 of course on social media we got the motormouths.com you can email us there we can also be found on Facebook at the motormouths989 and you can get me directly on Twitter at bud motormouth at i am ditch for myself on Twitter so thanks for listening and uh, getting involved in the conversation today now we're going to do uh, first of all we'll start with some follow up from last week we asked you to text in the last couple of weeks your first car uh, and what, what you it loved was, about it, what you loved, what you didn't love about it. We did get some text messages on our Rick's powder coating text line. Here we got Jay from Atoka says his first car was another. We got another El Camino. I think this is a third one, man. Yeah. Uh, 75 El Camino with a 350. Amazing car. His worst car was a brand new 1992 Geo Metro. Wow. He said no explanation, but I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, it starts with three cylinder engine yeah. putting out a cool 59 horsepower. The marketing people at General Motors said, let's go after Suzuki. Suzuki had a much more, a much longer successful run at their small three-cylinder. I don't even know if the Suzuki, uh, what was it? Uh, I wanted to say Cutlass. It's not the Cutlass. But the Suzuki was what GM was going after. And they actually, the time span was the Suzuki was made in the mid-80s all the way through the mid-2000s, 2016 maybe. Uh, Is it the, oh, yeah, they called it a Cutlass. Uh, oh, Cultus. Cultus, that's right, that's right. The Geo Metro uh, was only manufactured for a couple of years. It just... It, I, had, it was at uh, 89 to 01. And I, by, I think oh, by 01, they were probably just selling off what they had left over. Yeah, they, <laughs> so. they just thought, let's just get rid of this thing. You know, there was even a convertible Geo Metro. Oh, yeah. They actually kind of look cool. I'm not going to lie. Like, now, it depends on which one you have. Had a lot of fun going downhill. There was the little four-door. Then there was the little uh, goofy-looking hatchback. So, yeah, I can see. See, I'm the same way. My first car was a Gremlin. I wasn't proud of that. Uh, it was given to me as, here, if you want something to drive, this is what you get. So I was stuck with it for a while. So it's right up there with the Metro. I was not the cool guy because I didn't have the cool car for a while. I ended up with a jeep cj7 and then i was a cool dude everybody wanted to run with me so uh jay's comment there kind of reminded me of something we were talking about we were talking about your worst car and this is something else you can text into us uh, or message us is what was the worst car you ever had and why and what happened to it and how how awful was it and you know you asked me what the worst car i was ditch or what the worst car i ever had and it was not in fact my cobalt that thing was a solid you know a to b appliance type car nothing too bad to say about it i had forgotten about my 1992 Mitsubishi 3000 GT and I bought this car for 500 bucks because it had flip up headlights. I bought it off of one of the technicians at my shop. It was that an looked absolute like a kind of badass car though. Those were so cool if it was the VR4 with the twin turbo. Yeah. This one on the other hand was at least it was stick shift, but this thing was such a just just a box, man. It needed to be painted. <laughs> it was it, the radio had been ripped out of it. It was a nightmare. I'll post some pictures on the social media on the Facebook Motor Miles 989. I'll put some out on my Twitter. Uh this thing was 
a, a, it was probably one of the mistakes. I made money on it. I sold yeah. it for a thousand bucks. I probably sunk about two hundred into it. It had no exhaust when I bought it. It was uh, the timing belt had slipped. It was still it was still managing to run, but it was running like garbage. It couldn't maintain. After I sold it, I found out that the fuel pump went bad almost immediately. Oh, so yeah. that car was an absolute nightmare. But anyway, uh, we were also last week, Ditch. We were talking about inspections. I mentioned that when I was living in Virginia, they would charge you like thirty five bucks for this state mandated inspection, and it would have to go through a private shop. And uh, I did get a message from Joey. He was saying that you know ten bucks sounds pretty crazy for uh, for an inspection because I was saying. They, you know, that's how much my shop would offer them for. And I, I called around, and most shops are offering an inspection anywhere 10 to 20 bucks. I called the chain place. They said 10 bucks, but they weren't going to be able to get me in this week. They're so slammed. I imagine a lot of shops are busy right now because with the car shortage, you got to keep your cars on the road. This is something we've talked about. You got to keep your car running a little bit longer. You got to put off buying a new car another year or two. So shops are doing pretty well. But, you know, f- the reason that inspections exist is because it, it, they got to get you in the door, right? Like, Sooner or later, you put enough miles on a car, it's going to need something. It's going to have it's yeah. going to have something worn out, and you know there's maintenance, there's brakes, and and again, you're not the average citizen who's driving their appliance isn't exactly expected to know what those things are. But like I said, you know, check your owner's manual. There are maintenance intervals, but there's other stuff that comes up as well. So shops, they're only charging ten bucks. They're not making any money off of that, really. It's they they it's it's to get you in the door, and then they're looking for work. And, and again, it, it, it almost sounds nefarious every time you hear something like this, you know, upselling and, and tacking on stuff. I came in for the oil chain. Well, that's what's in it broken. for the shop to provide right. service. And they'll say, yeah, we want to be a licensed inspection station because they know that it could mean more work for them or right. more business. Yeah. So, but if you're, if it's a, if it's a state mandated one, I, I can kind of understand why they'd charge more because it's less likely that it's going to lead to any work. Most people bringing it in for the state inspection, they're not, they're not doing it because they want to take care of their car yeah, or yeah. because something might be wrong. They're doing it because the state says they have to. So yeah. for a shop, they're incent, they're, they're, there's less incentive for them to take these cars in, I would suppose. Yeah. So I, I can kind of get with you on that one, uh, Joey, but for the most part, when you go to a shop, they don't, they're not going to charge you much more to do an inspection. Cause again, it's really not a whole lot of work. They pull the wheels off it. They do some visual checks, you know, check A, B, C, and D, your brakes, your, your uh, your fluids, all that stuff, but uh, their incentive as a shop to basically take a loss on the inspection is it leads to more work. And you know, clearly, these companies over the years have determined that it's worth only charging so much for the inspection because it's going to, you know, if they get in there, you need shocks. That's that's a pretty good deal. Technicians love doing shocks, so you, you get kind of get what I'm saying. That's what that's what the the whole inspection business strategy is about and just you know just because a technician tells you your car needs something doesn't mean they're trying to scam you or scare you that that does happen but you know if you your car hasn't been looked at by a technician for twenty thousand miles don't be surprised if they tell you it needs something absolutely but we appreciate the comment joey and getting involved uh, we also got a comment on our rick's powder coating text line we we're just talking about the geo metro and yes uh i had forgotten Geo Metro, General Motors did a partnership with Suzuki. Mm, that's and the, what it was. the Metro was a spinoff of that little Suzuki Coltus. And then it went on to the General Motors Spirit and some other goofiness. But that was sort of a partnership that they attempted to uh, market those little cars. And uh, they realized that, you know, it, 
it's just one of those automotive mistakes. I think uh, they look back at it. I've actually still seen a few of those still out on the road. I mean, they'll, they'll keep kicking. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, it's not like you can really abuse them. You know? But, <laughs> but gonna... we get what you're saying. A Geo Metro is not a car you'd proudly say, yeah, that was my first car. Yeah. I still wish I had it. And fuel economy was the name of the game with those, and I wonder how their gas mileage compares to a hybrid. Let me look it up. I, oh, I, I'd be point. curious to see about what their, uh, what their miles per gallon is. Well, think about it. It's only three cylinders. What did you say the horsepower of 55? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> 55 horsepower on that thing, man. But, yeah, no, so here it says it actually tied the Prius and the Honda Insight for fuel economy at 42 miles per gallon. Wow. Because there was nothing to them. They, yeah. they weighed almost nothing. But, again, I can't imagine they were fun to drive, as Jay <laughs> definitely pointed yeah. out. That is literally a point A to point B with the least amount of cost involved. I mean, you can get into the family of that. And General Motors had the Chevette before that, which those are cool little cars. I don't care what you say about the Chevy Chevette. Those were cool cars. Oh, 70s, maybe early 80s. They stopped making them. But anyway, there's our there's our trip down memory lane, and we appreciate your text messages. We have we we have a different question we want to ask that maybe you can get involved with uh, here this week on the Motor Mouths. This is a little more in depth, and our text number again is 901-683-0989. Bud was thinking about this earlier this week. Yeah, I know. I came to you. I was I was looking at that this Mercedes, and I remember uh, I was watching Hoovy's Garage, and he was talking about how his Mercedes is a mid engine. Uh, even though the engine sits in front of the driver, it's a mid-engine, and I was th- it got me thinking about design. And I know we talked to Dapo from from Ford b- designing the F-150 Lightning, and, and now I wish I, I had more time with him because I got so many questions about the design strategies for cars. Really, what what, what kind of came to mind was, you know, is there an expo or somewhere where Ford or Chevy or one of these companies comes out with a new technology and says, here's the new thing our cars can do. Are there, it, it, Ford does that. Does Chevy look at that and go, huh, how did they figure that out? You know, like, what? at what point does the R&D become public? Because, you know, I was thinking about Lane Assist. There's, when they sell them? Yeah, well, Lane Assist comes out. A bunch of companies are offering that. That's who, true. Who was the first one to Develop come up with that, up do with the it. R&D, figure out, like, how to, because no one just knew how to program a computer to do that. Someone had to test, and, and, and well, a lot of this stuff, I imagine, is done behind closed doors. You know, a lot of corporate security. They don't want Chevy figuring out their, you know, getting a hold of their software that they use to do this. And at what at what point does it just become standard on every car, and how does that happen? And the other, I would take that question even further. When they're engineering these cars, uh, and as somebody, if you work on your car at all, Bud, you've spent time actually in shops working on them, and there are certain cars and there are certain things about working on them that you you say to yourself, what were the engineers thinking when they did this? See, that's, that's the whole strategy is I want to find out who did design that. I'm coming after them. Right. <laughs> but and no, was it, really, it on purpose? So that was there a was there a actual concerted effort to say, we want to be the ones responsible to advance this technology or to uh, fix this uh this particular problem on this car. So we're going to make it so that they have to bring it back to us. I wonder how much of that goes oh, on. Oh, like, kind of like planned obsolescence. Yeah. You know, like uh, the, your cell phone stops working properly after the latest uh, software update now that the phone is three years old and they're trying to encourage you to buy a new one. Uh, and, and I imagine there's been some of that and probably... You know, uh, I mean, that's you're breaking laws at that point, aren't you? If, if I'm not mistaken, I I don't know. I just know that uh, there's times you're, if you're that, designing it to fail when you you're designing. Well, not necessarily to fail, but designing it so that the only way to repair it is to bring it back to the manufacturer. And we're seeing a lot of that with the software. You know that you need you need to be kind of a tech guy. You need to be able to to do programming to be able to fix these. And a lot of them, you know, the 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 software to solve the problem is only available at the dealership. Yeah, yeah, and you know. 
from the just sheer mechanics of stuff, sometimes you're working on your car and uh, and you're thinking to yourself, how in the heck did they get to this? Or why did they put this here? And then you realize, well, there's specialty tools that are involved and there's some things that you just, you got to take it to the dealer to fix. Uh, and it's, uh, you, you, that's what I wonder. Uh, they had some engineers somewhere that said, here's what we're going to do so that we can continue to, to reap benefits financially from the sale of these cars. We're going to make it so that the only way to repair them is that they have to bring them back to us. This, this isn't this isn't cars, but that's literally what McDonald's is doing, and that's why the shake machine's always broken. Exactly. Because the, the, exactly. you can only have that one machine yep. in your building, and if it's not working, only their technician's allowed to fix it, and it's a total racket. And <laughs> I'll save <laughs> that for another show, but that is, a, that, is, that is a whole thing. And if they're, you know, if one company is doing it, they're not the only ones to figure out that, that okay. strategy. Let me put it this way, bud. Do German, do guys who work on cars in Germany cuss the German engineers the way you do? Uh, that's a good question, and I would love to find the answer to it. I'm sure they do. Literally, I, I can't imagine anyone working on a BMW or a Mercedes going, oh, this is a really cool way to design this. This is so easy to work on. I mean, some of them maybe. I, I did know a guy who said, dude, there's the, the reason he liked working on BMWs is because all the procedures are, to, to the credit of the engineers, they write the procedures very uh, it's very detailed yeah. on how you're like, like you know if you have to change out the uh, head gasket. There's a very detailed manual on how to do that. So you know to their credit, they 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 somewhat have these things in mind. But you know I, I see some of these repairs and it just you, you want you want to tear your hair out. And I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they designed this. You know. And if there's a repair that you end up doing that didn't have to be done the way that they tell you it has to be done. I mean, uh, you know, you may have come across something. Uh, that they say, well, based on our repair, we did it this way, and this is how we recommend doing it, the manufacturer way, and you figured out a way around that. Well, that, like, yeah. I have a great example. I, I always talk about that, one of the worst things I've ever had to do, which was the blend door in the uh, dashboard of my Mercury Marauder. Yeah. The, the manual actually calls for you to pull the whole dashboard out, but if you are willing to break off the tabs of the back two mounting points of that thing, of the the, the, the little servo, you can you can do that and that and you don't have to take the whole dashboard out. I basically had to, you know, contort my body to get my arm into that thing, but it was much easier and much more of a time saver. It's an eight hour job. They they book oh, eight yeah. hours for pulling um, that dashboard out. It's a total. I've nightmare. referred to the heater core replacement on an Nissan Xterra a few times. I've done that a couple of times on a couple of different Nissan Xterras. And I I when I first uh when I first shopped it, I was told you have to take the dash out, it's gonna be an eight hour job, it's gonna cost twelve hundred bucks, whatever the I've just thrown out numbers. And I thought Wait a minute, really? So I, 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 I did it myself, and I did not have to take the entire dashboard out. Right. And but it involved me being being willing to break a tab that holds a little plastic tab that holds the heater core in that car in place. Right. But then when I realized that the um, the lines that are running in through the firewall, they're going to hold it in place anyway if they're tight. Right. So I'm like, oh, well, guess what? I just did it without having to take the dashboard out. So there. Yeah. But- <laughs> Now, now I got a broken tab, but that's okay. Uh, okay, so listen, 683-0989, that's 901-683-0989 if you want to get involved in this conversation. Speaking of conversation, he's been on with us here on the Motor Miles before, and uh, he's got a very important update on car insurance and influencers on social media. We welcome back to the Motor Miles, Daniel Irwin from the Better Business Bureau Mid-South. 
Well, thanks for having me back, guys. I wanted to talk about uh, social media and how it can affect uh, or even ruin your car accident claim if you've been in an accident and have to file an insurance claim. Um, you know, insurance companies monitor social media sites, and if you file a claim, chances are good that someone from the insurance company or the opposing party will search you on social media. So here are just a few things to keep in mind uh, when you're posting on social media after a claim uh, that could destroy your case. Uh, number one would be information about your activities can be used uh, to claim that you're not injured. So a social media post showing you in a garden or on vacation or hanging out with your friends in the backyard uh, might be used as evidence that your injuries are not as bad as you claim. Uh, number two okay. would be comments about the accident might be read as your admission of fault. Uh, fault in a car accident can be complicated questions, so just be really careful what you post about a car accident after you've had one. You might consider it venting, but uh, you know, an insurance company might consider uh, venting to be an admission of fault, or you know, it might complicate things. Yeah. Uh, posting too much can be used to claim that you did suffer emotional distress. Uh, car accidents can be terrifying, and the pain and emotional trauma of serious injuries can be devastating. But if you're taking a part and cheerfully uh, posting on social media streams like nothing happened, uh, that could uh, affect your claim that you were in emotional distress. If, if immediately following a car accident, you're posting about other things and you're telling the world how happy you are, uh, you know, insurance Cocktails companies uh, are looking at that. Yeah, yeah unless, you, <laughs> right. uh, unless you post pictures of, of you laying in a hospital bed or... Yeah. Because think about right. social media. Social media is a timestamp, and that's why so many in agencies, law enforcement agencies, insurance agencies, they can use it now and, and legally use it because it, it is a timestamp. Yeah, that's right. And uh, talking about your case may negate the confidentiality, the confidentiality of your information, right? So be really careful what you share on social media because you can't, can't claim later that that's confidential information. So anything about your medical condition or anything like that, be really careful what you share because you can't come back later and say it's confidential. And then uh, bad-mouthing the insurance company may be read as a sign of bad faith. So uh, be really careful if you're expecting the insurance company to do the right thing. Uh, don't bash them on social media before they have. Um, they kept me on hold you know? for eight whole minutes. Yeah, I can't believe I called them while I was sitting there in my beat-up truck and they wouldn't answer the phone. All Daniel. I did was cut the guy off a little. <laughs> Daniel, right. Daniel, right. Daniel Irwin from the Better Business Bureau Mid-South is on with us. Now, Daniel, uh, what about influencers and how they are, uh, I say social media influencers, and how they're influencing yeah. people uh, to buy car insurance? It's like cheap insurance? Right. Cheap insurance. Well, keep in mind, so social media is the way that things are advertised nowadays, right? Yeah, there's still commercials on TV, but for the most part, at least younger people, they rely on social media to, to, you know, to, to look at ads. So uh, just a quick example of, of, of something, um, you know, one of the most popular uh, car warranties out there is, uh, is CarShield. We've all seen the, oh, yeah. uh, the advertisements for CarShield. Uh, uh, FYI, they're one of the worst companies out there. Oh, they have I've had to deal with them with the Better a, Business Bureau. I've had to deal with them as a service writer, and mm -hmm. I, I encourage anyone to stay as far away from them as possible. Yeah. Um, but we don't really think that Ice-T uses <laughs> Car Shield, do we? No. No. Ice-T is loaded, and I don't even think the, auto, the fine automobiles that Ice-T drives around, Car Shield wouldn't even uh, touch, right? So keep in mind, just because a celebrity endorses a product doesn't mean they use a product. Um, whenever you see a high-end celebrity pitching a low-end product, like cut-rate auto insurance, you know, just keep in mind that doesn't mean that it's a good idea for you. That's just something. Someone getting paid to, you know, to, to, 
to give you information. So just because a celebrity, uh, you know, promotes something doesn't mean you should. Uh, you should buy it. But what's happening, though, is these cut-rate insurance companies, uh, you know, that, that advertise during the day on TV, uh, they're seeing such an uptick in sales because they've gone away from daytime TV commercials, and now they're paying social media influencers. Mm -hmm. So just be really careful, uh, you know, what, what you're, who you're getting your advice from. Um, it shouldn't always just be social media influencers. Yeah, listen, if, as I said during the election, if you're so shallow that you base your, in that case, your vote, but in this case, how or who you're going to buy your insurance from based on some famous person, what they say, man, you need to take a look in the mirror. Because you should not yeah. be you should not be making uh, big decisions like that based on what Ice T says. Yeah, you, need, <laughs> you need to do your research about insurance companies. Find out what you're getting for your money. You know they they always rattle off. They they have to explain to you that your your coverage and everything. Make sure you know what these words mean and yeah. what you're getting for your money. And for I sure. know there's a lot of pages of coverage, and you get that document in the mail or uh, emailed to you, and you're like, I'm not going to read through all this. I have no idea what this means. Well, then what happens when you have a car accident? They say, No, we're not going to pay it because it says right here in the fine print, you know, whatever. And this whole idea of them now going to your social media after a car accident and following up uh, to what you've said on social media as a way to get out of pain, that's pretty crazy. Daniel Irwin, Better Business Bureau, Mid-South. Thanks for joining us today on The Motor Mouths. Thanks, guys. See you next time. All right, so coming up after the break, we've actually got Dave and Johnny from the Memphis Street Rods talking about their Delta River Cruise-In show. That's coming up next month. I'm looking forward to that. I'm Bud. I'm Ditch. And we are the Motor Mouths. More fun than launching a neutral drop in mom's faded teal Toyota Camry. The Motor Mouths. Ditch and Bud on News Talk 98.9. The Roar of Memphis. All right, welcome back to the Motor Mouths. I'm Bud. I'm Ditch. And we are the Motor Mouths. We're here to talk about cars. And today we are joined by Johnny Highlander and David Bradshaw from the Memphis Street Rods. How's it going, guys? Good, good. How are you? So you guys are here to talk about this show you got going on at the Delta River Cruise Inn, September 15th through the 18th. So it's going across a few days. Uh, break that down for me, would you? Where's the, uh, where does it start? Where does it end? What's going on each day? Well, the 15th is uh, more or less a setup day for all the vendors. And actually, cars start coming in probably Monday. Okay. And uh, But most of the vendors and uh, some of the spectators come in Wednesday. They pile in Thursday and Friday and even Saturday. So we'll have, we're expecting 750 to 1,000 cars there at Hollywood. How does that work, or excuse me, how does that compare to past years? Is this your 21st Delta Cruise and you're at Hollywood Casino? How does it compare, though, to com to the past year? Of course, we're hoping we'll have 1,000-plus cars. Mm -hmm. But uh, if we get 850, 900 cars, that's that's about average what we get every year. Everybody is looking forward to the show because we hadn't had it for two years because of the pandemic. Now that we're back up and running, Hollywood was gracious enough to offer their, their lot for us. Uh, Sam's couldn't do it. Sam's Town's where we've had it for the last what Johnny 16? 20, 20, 17 years. Seventeen. So uh, how many how many years have you guys been been running this? I know you took it over recently. If this is our second year, a lot this of fun, is, huh? This is our first year to do a car <laughs> show. So a lot of headaches, but we're working through it. Really enjoying doing the work on it. Hopefully, we'll have a real real good show. Oh, you love cars, so you know it's worth yeah. the work. Right? That makes a big difference. Yeah. You got to really enjoy the cars to be able to do this. You know the guys that had it before us. Mike Lyon and Ed Bloodworth, they uh, were president and vice president, and they did it for 20 years straight. 
they were president and vice president of the club for 20 straight years. So they had this car show thing down to an art. You know, they yeah. just, every year, they just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, it's done. Well, then me and Johnny take over and... Uh, just in time for COVID, too. <laughs> well, you had the COVID, and then you had to change locations. Oh, right. So that yeah. was the big problem in trying to find different it, sponsors. It's almost as if they knew something was coming, like, we got to get out of this before. That's good to think that. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. But How has the change been, though, for you guys? You didn't move far. You went from Samstown to Hollywood. Uh, street. Right across, across the street. Right yeah. street. How, how has that been? It's been a pretty smooth transition. And it, how is that going to affect the show and what people are used to? Well, I think we'll have basically the same show that we had in Samstown. Okay. But it's just a different location. And everyone that we've talked to from out of town, we get quite a few calls from out of town, people come into the show. And we tell them it's right across the street. You can't miss it when you come to the show. We've had people from, I've had phone calls from Iowa, Kentucky, Florida. But our show is basically people from out of town. So the people here in Memphis, if you want to see some different cars, you come to our car show because 60 to 65% of the people come to our show are from out of town. That's a good point. You know, you see the car, you go around, you go to the circuit of the shows around the Mid-South, mm-hmm. and you see the same cars. Yeah, the cars and coffee, the cruisins, it's the right. Right, you right. Know, regular turnout. I get that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. one thing we're doing different this year is... Um, we're giving away money every hour. I was seeing that right here. Yeah, uh, that's it says, important. Uh, it says cash drawing, uh, <laughs> cash drawing hourly, 12 to 4. Yeah, uh, tell us about that. We're giving away um, money every hour plus uh, free play from Hollywood that they're giving us to give away. And then we've got a, a bunch, I mean, a lot of door prizes. I mean, nice stuff, carburetors, intakes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That we're also going to be giving Not away. Not just keychains and koozies. No, no, no. That all comes in your goodie bag whenever you sign uh, gotcha. up. Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're looking at ways to make it more enjoyable for everybody instead of just sitting in their chair under a tent looking at cars all day. You know, give them something to at least look forward to. I might win 100 bucks or I might well, win cool. a carburetor. Yeah, keep things, keep things kind of moving, keep some, uh, yeah, exactly. some uh, events going on. So I'm seeing here it's uh, $30 <clears throat> if you want to pre-register. That's before August 1st, so a little late for that, I suppose. Well, so, we, we have changed that. Oh, you have? Yes. Okay, so what's yes. the story? On, on the internet, you'll look on our internet for the Memphis Street Rods, and we've changed it till September the first. Okay. The so until September already... the first, you can register your car for thirty bucks, thirty-five after that. Can you register day of? Can you yep. show up with cash in hand? Just yeah. roll yeah. up, roll it out of the trailer, and give you the money, and say, "Where and do you want me to park it?" That's exactly. right. We'll, and uh, as we'll far as the spectators, you. is that uh, free, free? Free to walk in? Okay, cool. Yeah. Everything, everything is free. That, so that's good. No, no admission at all. No admission fee. Excellent. And then the, uh, the vendors. What, well, I see vendors here. What kind of vendors is we doing a swap meet? What's uh, what's going on with uh, vendors? Well, we'll have different vendors, uh, people selling uh, car parts, things like that. Right. And then we'll have a separate swap meet. So that'll be diff- different. So okay. We'll have a place for so, that. So you got you have vendors selling selling their stuff, and then you got guys coming in to sell to, to do for the swap meet. Yeah. Right. Bringing right. In, right. I, I've seen those before. They bring their trailer and set up. Yeah. yeah. The vendors will be more the the new parts. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Swap, I'm with you. Swap meet is the older parts people bring in for the uh, swap meet. Okay. Got Another that. thing that's different this year is up until this year, they, the casinos have always had a buffet and two or three. You know, like a steakhouse or a yeah, grill. Yeah, it's a big part of it. You could go in and eat, do whatever you wanted to do. Well, Hollywood doesn't have a buffet anymore. They shut it down. They've got the one steakhouse. It's not very large. It's not suitable for everyone to go up there and eat. So we're going to have food trucks. Oh, nice. So we're going to have six to eight food trucks out there, a couple of dessert trucks. So just, you know, it, it's something different for us. But It's like know, a food truck buffet. Exactly. we got a little <laughs> area up in the front that's going to, a U-shaped area that's going to yeah. be nothing but food trucks. So. Places to sit, and, tables or anything? Yep. And, and also Hollywood. Casino, they will have the beer tent. 
Of so course. So they'll have a big tent. So when you get your food for the food trucks, then you go right under the tent. You can enjoy the food, set under the shade. That's a good way to keep people around us. I always, yeah. I'm always oh, looking yeah. for food at these kind of events. Food so. and dessert. Especially these all-day deals. Well, like that's this. one yeah. thing you're battling, though. The buffets are, you know, it's not just those casinos. A lot of them down there have stopped during There's the pandemic two. and then re reintroduced them again. There's yeah. only two that yeah. have a buffet, to my knowledge, just Fitzgerald's and Ghost Strike. And Ghost yeah. Strike are the only two that's of the casinos down there that actually have a buffet that's open. And uh, so who's who's helping you guys put this together? Anyone you want to shout out who's uh, been putting in? Well, uh, one uh, one of them is Landers Auto Group. They have come on board this year as a, as a real good corporate sponsorship. We're shout really out to those Shout guys. out to them for sure. And then the Hollywood Casino for coming on board this year giving up the location got to have locations tunica tourist commission they've been most helpful they in fact they're the ones that set us up with hollywood to uh, they don't want to make it happen uh, uh got, shout out to webster franklin for mm -hmm. that we've got AutoZone that's donated a lot of door prizes o'reilly barla small engines has donated things can i win an engine <laughs> a, small, a small engine. A small engine, bud. <laughs> not, not a two-stroke. We were talking about it before you came in, Ditch. I got to get a new motor for my uh, my 72 Matador. Now that I've decided to keep it, there's no way I'm selling my first car. Would you get, what, let, me, let me ask you, why I got you guys here. What was your first car? Do you still have it? Would you get it back if you could? I, I, we've been, we've been kind of having this conversation on the Motor Mouths here every week, you know, about uh, we've been asking folks, send us, what's your first car? Tell us the story. Because I, I still have my first car. And there was a period of time I was considering selling it. And uh, on the YouTube video where I mentioned that, uh, I got hit with comments like, don't sell your first car. There's so many car guys that give their left arm to get their first car back. And uh, Ditch, you were telling me about there's guys that they try to find the same make and model of car that they had when they when they got their first car. So what was what was your guys' first car? If you could if you could uh, share that. I think the first one that I really would want back. I got married in 1965, Dang. and we brought a brand new Mustang in 1966. Oh, nice. And that's the one that I would really, really like to have back. Your first big purchase was a car and not a house when you were married? Well, we, we got a house in 65 and <laughs> oh, a car okay, in 66. Okay, okay. So we yeah, were enough fortunate. left over for a Mustang, too. <laughs> and then yeah, the picket fence and the 2.5 kids in the but, backyard but you, barbecue. But you <laughs> have to remember in 65, the house was $11,000, too. Right, that's right. And, and, that was and the Mustang was 2500 So what would you know? rather have back, the house or the car? The car. Okay. <laughs> what, what happened to it? And, and you know, uh, I'd like to have the the car back i still have my wife so that's a say, good thing you, so, you, you don't know. want your wife back <laughs> oh we still have her okay good <laughs> after 57 years we're what, still uh, together. what happened to the mustang you just I, you trade it in traded it in traded in yeah mm -hmm. and got a 72 old cutlass supreme oh yeah you went for a little more comfort a little more oh, yeah. style okay. well that was a youngster coming along too right yeah <laughs> What color was that Mustang? Do you remember? Tahoe turquoise. It's an interesting. You can, if you can remember, Tahoe turquoise was Tahoe the, turquoise. I know Tahoe. what turquoise looks like. I imagine it's more Tahoe like. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Tahoe. Yeah. They still painting Tahoes that color? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I was a big fan of the Riptide blue they were doing in the uh, what was it the early two thousands? I think I see Riptide blue is awesome. It's a good color. Uh, what about what about you? What about you, David? Yeah. Well, there's several that I wish I had back. My '69 yeah. SS Chevelle. I'd give anything if I'd never sold it. But my first car was a nineteen. 40 Ford Coupe Black sitting in a shed that an old man owned and a tree had grown up between the bumper and the body. So my dad, his old man Perkins is all I knew him by. So my dad gave him $25 for this car. $25. Wow. The tree was my nemesis. You know, I couldn't, daddy didn't have a, a chainsaw. Did the tree come with the car? <laughs> no, we had to cut the tree down to get the car out of the shed. Well, I caught, my daddy came home one day and I said, man, when are we going to go get my car? And he says, oh, I've been meaning to tell you, I sold that car. And I said, you do what? He said, yeah, I doubled my money. I got 50 bucks for it. Oh, no. <laughs> 
So I went down the street to a, a fella, a friend of mine that lived on the same street I lived on and bought a 53 Ford for $15. Wow. And wow. built it. So <laughs> I what, don't want it back. You know, yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> so what, uh, what was your, when you were running the streets and you were the man, David, on the streets, just, you know, high school, and that, what kind mm -hmm. of car were you driving then? Either the Chevelle or a 69 Z28 Camaro. Yeah. Yeah, I can see this dude in a Z twenty eight. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was bad. It was a bad car. Was, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, it, right? it pulled the wheels in second gear. Wow. I had so a uh, it, was, it was bad. I had a Camaro uh, Berlinetta briefly and it had some transmission problems. And a buddy of mine, you know, he, he says, I can get that tranny working just long enough for you to sell it. They <laughs> <laughs> put sawdust in it. Yeah. I learned that I think from uh was uh the it was the old Andy Griffith show. They bought this car from a little old lady who only drove it to church on on Sundays, but they found sawdust in the transmission. It's supposed to make the gears run smooth for a few days. Well, you used to do that, and also the rear end. You yep. put banana peelings in mm. the rear end, and that would quieten them up enough banana, to sell it. Just enough to sell it, yeah. Just, just long enough for it. a test drive and the yep. cash. That's it. Yeah. Steel wool and the tailpipes just long enough to go through inspection. Uh, when we first started this conversation a few weeks ago about, about your first car, mine was it was a Gremlin, uh, and it was given to me. So I was not the guy with the cool car, but my buddy had the SS Chevelle, and so we always rolled around with him it's nobody ever asked me to pick him up to go to school you know what i'm saying they're like hey you know it's all right chris will take me to school or we're gonna go to the football game this weekend with chris nobody wanted to ride with me so but that that's that's chevelle those were bad mofos man yeah, they are so uh, with all the process of putting together this show have you had time to get your cars ready you're putting cars in the show what are you bringing uh yes we've got our cars ready i have a 56 Chevrolet. Nice. And, nice. Uh, first thing I ever learned, I don't know if I mentioned this the last time you were here, I probably did. The first thing I ever learned about how to distinguish cars was I learned how to tell a 55, a 56, and a 57 Chevy apart. Yeah. Uh, that was my first lesson. I was probably six years old. I never forgot it. Like the, how the streaks are different and uh, you got the, the plane on the hood versus the uh, like little bullets. So 56, what color? Red and white. Gorgeous. Red and white post car. What's your, uh, what's your uh, detailing regimen? Do you, do you have someone detail it for you? Do you detail it yourself? Oh, no, no. I do it all myself. Yeah? My son and I, we detail No one it. else touches that thing. No, just us. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the, what's the regimen? I mean, it, I assume it lives in a garage. What, oh, what yeah. do you do? So it's, you know, show's coming up. What's the, what's the strategy? How do you approach your, just making sure it looks its best? Well, what we usually do, uh, the first of the year... We'll take it and uh, wax it real good, have it completely waxed. And then from there, the whole summer, it's just a matter of just washing it and cleaning it. Right. Off. What kind of wax? Do you use the paste or spray-on wax? No, just the paste wax. The paste yeah. wax? Mm -hmm. Live it on, let it dry, wipe it off. That's do it, it out of the sunlight, that you whole wax thing? It, you wax it once a year? Once a year. If you do it once a year, you know, the springtime. Yeah. Yeah, if, you're, if it, your car's it, living it, in the garage not getting rained on, that right. that's easily enough. It, it holds up for the whole year. And then from there, you just take the, the cloth and wipe it off when you get to a car show. Or do, the, get do the glass, make sure kids aren't putting fingerprints on them, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, we go to Bill Street. We have that show uh, the fourth Tuesday of every month from April to October. And when you come from Beale Street, there's handprints mm -hmm. all over the car. And so that's when the next day you have to get out and wash it, clean it all up to get the handprints. Do you use up. a pressure washer or just the hose, hose pressure? No, just a uh, water hose. Yeah, I, water I imagine hose. pressure washer isn't really necessary for that because it's, again, it's living in the garage. Right. I, I, I break out the pressure washer, but that's mostly for my, my beater box that lives outside. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> you need to get in there. And uh, I got a clay bar that thing about once a year. I usually wax it twice a year just because all the, you know, just well, that's, keep that's yelling. That's what we do the first of the year clay bar clay bar 
Yeah, for, for anyone listening who doesn't know what clay barring is, there's a step before waxing your car, and this is great too. You know, if you're if you just got a new a new car, or you just you know, or a new or a used car, but either way, if it's been living outside, there's this clay you can get. It's literal clay. It's the uh, it's the Mother's is my brand that I like, but you can also get synthetic. Do you use the synthetic clay or do you use the, the actual clay bar? The actual clay. Actual clay bar, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it basically, you're putting literal, like, almost like modeling clay against the paint, and it's pulling all the nasty dirt out of the uh, out of the tiny microscopic pits. And, man, what a difference. It's so smooth. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You've been doing it big, for years. Big so. difference. Yeah, big difference. How does the uh, how is the turnout on Beale Street for the car shows? We have uh, spots up there for 137 cars, and normally... It's full. We go from second to third and third to fourth on Bill Street. Nice. And you have to have a pass. That's uh, American Muscle Car Club does that show. And uh, we have to have passes in order to get onto the show. Onto yeah. The yeah, that's the, yeah. That, that, that bike night the are the only off. nights that motorized thing motorized vehicles are allowed on that street. That's it. You know? That's so. it. We start about 530 and usually go to about 9. Just before the trouble starts getting <laughs> right. rolling in. <laughs> right. You ain't got to yeah. go home, but you got to get out of here. You got to get out of there first. I, I made it out there once last year. It was it was a pretty nice show. It's just a matter of where am I going to park, you know? I got to find a spot. Right. But I'm not, I'm not as familiar with Memphis, so I haven't, I'm not uh, able to navigate. But I, I got my way down there, and uh, I see I see the same car at a couple of shows. It's that, that guy with the big rusted bus. and uh, it, that, The school it, bus. Yeah. Yes. And yes. it's got that monster uh, blower sticking out of the hood. You can't even see around. That thing is, that thing is cool. It's I got like some, a rat rod yeah, bus or something? I, I saw him it? at the, uh, I first saw him at the, yeah, it's like a rat rod bus. It was yeah. in my, uh, in that video I did about the, about the Chevy show. Uh, he was. It was the first time I saw him there, and he let me get inside it and, and take video and everything. There's a video I did about that. That's back on the on the YouTube channel, Authority's Garage. But um, I got to get an opportunity to see your guys' cars. What, uh, what are you What are you ringing, David? Well, like I said earlier, my first car was a Forty Coupe, and that's exactly what I got now. It's a 1940 Ford Coupe. Is, is that the same one? No, not the same one. I okay. don't know what. So you actually did it. You actually went out and got. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a replacement, or not a replacement, but you picked up the same car you had that was your first car so 40 ford has always been my favorite hot rod i don't know i just love the way they look see what i'm saying ditch first cars man you, you never yep. you don't forget them it's red got flames on it it's cool how long have you had this one it's been on the road now for let's see i bought it in 93 from a fella in barlett been on the road since 95 how important is it for these cars to be roadworthy? because you know a lot of cars are just show cars and you rarely ever See them out. Uh, tra- and you got the trailer queens. I mean, they never, yeah, they're never right. even on this. I guess, it's, I guess it saves you on registration if you do that. But. Well, as we say, if you see it on the trailers. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I got a sticker like on that. that in my car. It says, if you see this car on a trailer, trailer it's either broke or stolen. <laughs> <laughs> there were there were a few. There was, like, there was a few where I find it kind of forgivable. Like, there was this guy I saw at a car show. He had these 1925. They were called Littles. And they're really, they, they look older than they even are. They're 25. They look like they're from 1905. And they don't even have any lights on them or anything like that. And, and you really, those things, I think their top speed was like 40. So he never heard of that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Something like that I can kind of, or like, you know, you see these guys with like the, 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 19, uh, the 1912 Fords and stuff like that. There's yeah. just not enough car there to be safe on the streets. Those guys, I kind of, I cut them some slack when we call them trailer queens or, you know, or the old Rolls Royces or something. But yeah, if yeah. it's coming out of the 40s or the 50s, you know, that thing should be, that thing should be ready to, to hit the yeah, road. They are. They, uh, you know, I'd get in my car and, I'd drive to California. I wouldn't be afraid to. Yeah, it would make it. Go. What are what are some of the contemporary comforts that you've put in your cars? Pretty much everything you can get in a new one. Yeah. 
Power yep. windows, power brakes, power door locks, air conditioning, air CD condition, player, power automatic. steering, yeah. power brakes. You guys converted them to disc and put power oh, yeah. brakes on them. Mm-hmm. Was that something you did yourselves, or was that something you had you had done at a shop? Or did, did it myself. Did These it dudes did everything oh, yeah, themselves, awesome. man. <laughs> you got you to ask nowadays. There's been a lot of times I'm at a car show, and I'll ask him about that, because that's something I'm looking to do to my station wagon is to – it's four-wheel drum, and it's awful. And uh, <laughs> And not just that, but the front drums are hubbed. So yep. anytime I even want to do brake work, I got uh, I got to pull it off the spindle and I got to regrease the the bearings. It's total pain, and I'm like, this is definitely on my list of things to do is to convert these this to four wheel disc and put power brakes on it. And there have been times when my car shows and I ask someone about that, they're like, oh, I don't know, I took it to a shop, they did it, they did it for me. So I'm, I always I I always I don't want to just assume. But that said, how how is that process uh, to convert it? I imagine it's probably easier with the more you know the non American motor company, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know well, you know Ford or GM. Well, nowadays. You can buy just about any part you need online, right? And it'd have a conversion kit for anything, just about. Online. Even it's, a seventy-two Matador, if I can find a conversion a kit, that'd be great. The the automobile industry is essentially universal, generally speaking. There are some specialty things for, but generally, a guy told me that one time. He says you can find just about anything you need that will that will fit. Especially, of course, if you're within the family. But it's it's so much easier nowadays to find when parts you, when you build one. You can build it pretty much with any parts you want to. Yeah. Like my 40 Ford has got a 350 Chevy motor in it, uh, a Ford or a Mustang rear end. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, you take the parts that fit the width of the car and so forth and make it work. You, know, yeah. you have to weld brackets on. And, you know, Johnny's building a 66, actually a 65. 66 Chevrolet C10 truck. And you can buy everything. You could actually just mm-hmm. buy parts and build a truck. You yeah. wouldn't even have to have a truck to start. A kit. You, Almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can buy front end, you know, cabs, doors, beds. You can buy everything. So, so where are you sourcing these parts that you're that you're saying you can get anything? Where are you sourcing this stuff? Where are you finding your, uh, like, your your uh, conversion kits for disc brakes, things like that? You, a lot of you can go to Summit okay. online. Summit does a lot of them. Uh, with the truck, it's LMC mm-hmm. on the truck. You can buy any parts you want to for a 66 Chevrolet truck. Any part. It doesn't make any difference what it is. Pretty much any car nowadays. Yeah. But, but Summit would be a good one. And and if you're changing from one to the other, you you know conversion. They've pretty much got any kind of parts you need for birds. So, Guys, we appreciate you coming in, David and Johnny from the Memphis Street Rods are getting ready for the big show. It's the 21st annual Delta River Cruising uh, Delta River Cruising Car Show at September 15th through the 18th. 92 and earlier is the uh, is the year mark for this, and you can either drive up with your car and register or. We encourage you to do it online. Where are they? Is it a Facebook page? Where, where's the best place to MemphisStreetRods.com. Okay, there you go. That's that's it, man. And it's at Hollywood Casino this year, the uh, new location, which is right across the street from the old location, so it's still easy to find. Right, correct. Guys, thanks a lot, man. Looking forward to this uh, show. It's going to be a big one. Pr- thanks for having us. Thanks, yeah, thanks for, for having us. Y'all come down. Oh, you know, we'll be yeah, there, Yeah, we'll man. be there. Yeah, they're talking about having, what, a th- oh, he said they want, they're going for 1,000 cars. I'm, I'm there for that. You better believe it. It's going to be huge, man. It's going to be a big one, uh, and it's the first one in a couple of years. So everyone's excited about it. The 21st annual Delta River Cruising Car Show, the 15th through the 18th at Hollywood Casino this year. Easy to find because it's right across the street from where they used to put it on. So looking forward to that for sure. If you have a car show, something you want us to, to know about and talk about on the Motor Mouths, uh, your event coming up could just be something as simple as, uh, you know, coffee uh, and cruise on a Saturday and you want others to know about it. we got to know. you got to get uh, get in touch with us. You can do it on our Rick's Powder Coating text line, of course. Uh, that is 901-683-0989. 
We have plenty of ways on social media. Of course, you can find us on the Motor Miles website. That's themotormiles.com. You can email us directly there, or you can find us on Facebook at themotormiles989. And, of course, I'm on Twitter. You can get me at Bud Motormouth. At I am Ditch for myself on Twitter. Again, want to thank uh, Daniel Orwin for updating us on the watch out what you post on social media after a car accident because now the insurance companies uh, will look or they can look to your social media and if they see something that's not consistent uh, with what you said in your report they may actually uh, deny your claim something you need to know about you know i've heard that insurance investigators are paid better than homicide detectives that's a good point and it's because they're working for a private company and i've met a few of these guys you know when i was working at the shop we'd had them come through i remember the the face Famous story I always, it's not really famous, but this, the, the, my, my favorite story I like to tell was we had a, an insurance adjuster come in to check out. Uh, basically, this guy filed a claim because the, the motor started on fire, and it turned out he hadn't done any maintenance for like 35,000 miles. He bought the car and just drove it. Never did never did an oil change. Nothing. Never had an inspection. None of that, and the engine blew up. And then he tried to file. He said a total loss, $60,000 Cadillac just flushed. Just, just so you know, just to remind you, insurance companies are not in business to be nice to you. And they're not because they feel sorry for you in a car wreck, and they want to help you get your car running. No, they, are, they exist solely for one purpose. What is it, bud? Making money. That's right. All right. Hey, thanks again for listening this week. We will be back next week right here. Same place, same time. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And yep, we are the Motor Mouths.